Hello, welcome to I Love Rock and Roll. I'm Ken Krantz. Uh, no chip this week, but returning as uh, co-host, uh, one of my favorite stand-up comics, one of my best friends, Max Antonucci is here with us. Hello, Ken. Thanks for having me on one of my favorite podcasts. I love this show. Yeah, well, we love having you. Thanks so much for doing it. And um, our guest this week is uh, this is this is exciting. Uh, this is exciting for me. Um, our guest this week was uh, was the owner of JNR Music World in New York City. Uh, please welcome to the shell uh, to the show, <laughs> Rochelle Friedman. Hi there. How are you? We're doing great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well, too. Thank you. Um, uh, you guys are having, I know, uh, so you, you, JNR Music World was, was like a New York City institution for, for a long time from, uh, 1971 to 2014. And, um, you guys, you're holding an auction and, uh, you're auctioning off a lot of very cool rock and roll related memorabilia. And um, we will get to that shortly. But um, I wanted to start with the uh, how JNR Music World came to be. Um, sure. You and your husband. Uh, you, you and your husband. Came, that's okay. You and your husband came over here from Israel, right? In, in the early seventies. Yes. Yes. No, no, no. We came when we were children. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and, um, so how, t tell us about how JNR Music World came to be. Tell us how you go from a 500 square foot storefront to one of, one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest music businesses in New York City. Well, um, I was a junior in college and my husband, Joe, was an electrical engineer and he wasn't happy, and he said he would like to start a business. And I said, okay. <laughs> and he said he loves electronics. He was a ham operator, and he just loved to take apart electronics and put it together. And he said he'd like to open up a little electronics store. So he found a tiny store, 500 square feet, a few blocks away from where he worked as an electrical engineer. And it was one train stop away from the college that I went to, Polytech University in Brooklyn, which is now the engineering school for NYU. And we started it part-time. So he used to come during his lunch hour, and I used to set up experiments at Polytech, tell the guys, I was, there were only three girls in the school, it was the first year they let in women. So I used wow. to tell the guys in my class, guys, keep an eye on my experiment <laughs> and I'm just running down, you know, uh, to the store. And then when we weren't available, we just closed the store. So it was really a part-time endeavor to make a little extra money until I graduated from college. Oh, wow. So, so, <laughs> so you saw this as uh, you saw this as a very temporary uh, situation. Um, I did for myself. Um, if it would ever amount to anything, Joe said he would leave his engineering job and continue this. And uh, it started blowing up. It started just with electronics. And then people used to come over and say, do you carry this LP? Do you have this LP? And we said, no, go down the block. There's a record store there. <laughs> and then after a while, I said to my husband, you know what? Let's open up a record store. Oh so there was, a little, there was a little space in the same building. It used to be um, just like an office space. And we opened up a record store. So I manned the record store and Joe manned the electronics store. That's such and, an inc uh, incredible endeavor for to, to be so young, like at that age and mm -hmm. decide, I'm going to take this risk and do this as like a side project. That's incredible to me. 
Yeah, yeah, but it was a lot of fun. We were newlyweds. We used our wedding gift money. Uh, I was 20 years old at the time. Like I said, I was still a you know junior in college, and um, it was just a lot of fun. We were together the whole time. We loved working together, and we still pursued what we really wanted to do, me getting my degree and Joe, you know, being an electrical engineer. And uh, the music store, basically, um, I manned that. I really didn't know that much about music, so we had a Schwann catalog, <laughs> and I used to go through, and i go, oh, my God, John Coltrane. I don't know who he is, but he has an awful lot of albums. <laughs> let, let me order some. <laughs> and that's basically how we started. And I had a notebook at the register. And people used to say, well, could you get Miles Davis? I looked it up in my Schwank had Miles Davis. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sketches of Spain. This, this, this. I said, let me order a few of that. And basically, our customers taught us the business. And... Uh, the music became even bigger than the electronics for a, a small portion of time. That's so funny because usually uh, you go to the record store and, and the employees sort of teach you uh, about music. And uh, this this sounds like it was the other way around, like the customers were coming in and telling you guys what was what was hip. Exactly, exactly. At the beginning, it was like that. Then, of course, we started hiring very, very knowledgeable salespeople. And I think that's what set us apart. And people that knew everything. And if I like this album, what would you recommend? And they used to come to us because of their salespeople that were so knowledgeable and so into the music. And they would recommend new things and uh you know, very uh, uh, not that famous stuff, but you would love this. And that's really how we grew. That's how, you know, our reputation uh, really grew. That's that's incredible. And working in a record store really is. Uh, Max, I don't know if you ever did. I, I did in college for a while. It's one of the most fun jobs. If you're if you love music, it's it's one of the most fun jobs you can have. Yeah, I never. Uh I never took that like a uh, risk because every time I've gone into a, a record store, I'm like, oh, they know way more than I do about like everything. And I think I know a lot about music. I'm a huge fan going back to like 50s music because I grew up, you know, my father always had pretty good music taste. So I grew up listening to a lot of cool stuff. But like even then I'd go in there and be like, oh, I'm not knowledgeable enough to work here. But I do wish I did because it does seem like such a cool environment where you could just surround yourself by music all day and just find out like all the new stuff. Cause like now for, uh, you know, in 2022, you go on Spotify and they'll be like, Oh, these are the, the discovery playlists based on your taste of music. It's that's what it is now. But back then you could be like, you know, one of your coworkers would be like, Oh yeah, you like this. You have to listen to this. And then that's how you find mm -hmm. out. Right. Right. What also made us very unique in those days uh, in those days, none of the record stores kept the albums out. They used to keep the jackets out. And if you wanted to buy it, you came to the cash register, and then they put the LP, the vinyl, into the jacket. And we just kept it all out that people could touch it, feel it, um, almost like self-service. And people really loved that. It, it was a very unusual concept at the time, if you could believe that. <laughs> there, there is something to that though, like holding, holding vinyl and and feeling the weight to it, and and getting to mm -hmm. open up the cover, and and back in those days, that was um, that was all you knew uh, about musicians. What was what was what was printed on the album cover? Sure, the uh, li the liner notes were very, very important. Yes, yeah, I used to as a little kid. My my uncle had a giant vinyl collection and, and and I would sleep over there on some weekends and I would just sit cross-legged in front of it going through album by album and if an album cover jumped out on me I jumped out at me I, I, I would put it on the on the turnstile and play it and, and that's sort of mm -hmm. how I started developing my own taste mm -hmm. so I, I would imagine so um it's the early 70s. How, how, 
uh, when you get the when you get the record store side of it going. Um, and mm-hmm. that was a pretty uh, that was a pretty good period for rock music in New York City. There, so I, I got to imagine it's it's not too long. Did, did you have some of these? Um, did you have some of these musicians from the early seventies coming in and hanging out? Um, yes, they used to come and hang out in the store and place orders and things like that. But they didn't actually perform in the store until a little bit later. Um, we weren't buying direct. We were buying from a distributor. And once we started buying directly, then we started getting a lot of the artists coming in, uh, signing uh, stuff, you know, on day of release or coming and doing a small gig in our store. And, and it just expanded and expanded over the years. Do you, re- do you remember from the early days uh, some of the musicians that would come and hang out? Uh, it was mostly jazz artists <laughs> at the time. We really specialized in jazz. And um, so we had like Grover Washington Jr. And oh, I don't know, just a lot of jazz artists because most of the record stores at the time just carried top 100. Mm-hmm. And we started carrying deeper catalog and a lot of jazz. I think it started with my John Coltrane discovery. And that so many people, they couldn't find it elsewhere. You know, at the time, it was Sam Goodies and King Carroll. Mm-hmm. There weren't these, you know, really big uh, record stores around then. So we, you know, um, we we really had a huge inventory for such a small store. Yeah. And, and there's something so satisfying about hunting down an album and finding it. Mm-hmm. Especially when right, it's hard to right. find, like when you can't go in the Sam Goody and, and just pull it off the shelf easily. There there was something right. so satisfying. And you knew you knew what stores got the imports or had the deeper catalogs. And yes. Um, yes. I, I used to love I mean, it's it's great now having the convenience of any music you could ever want, you know, on your phone. But um, I do miss like the thrill of the hunt for it. Yeah, I agree. And we carried uh, all the imports we used to bring in from Japan. It used to take us three months to get it. Uh, these labels that you could only get in Japan and, and the jazz um, aficionados used to love it and used to wait online and go through all of that. And, and it used to sell out the day it came in. And I'm talking about thousands of, you know, pieces of vinyl. So they love that. That's we were there for our customers. We loved our customers. They loved us. They were very, very loyal to us. We were very, very loyal to them. And it was just a great relationship. Um, you mentioned before that you, 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 a little later on, you started having some uh, uh, in-store performances. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. What, what were some of your more memorable ones? Oh, God. Uh, let's say Joe Walsh. <laughs> Joe Walsh was great because he actually played and he had a little, little story before each song. And he used to say, well, this is when I was very high or, <laughs> <laughs> or stuff like that. And it, it was just great. And you just said, oh, my God. I can go to any concert hall and see him, and it'll never be something like this. So intimate, so nice. So uh, those type of performances really meant a lot to me. And in fact, about a couple of years ago, I accidentally met him on the street. He was with his wife, and uh, he said, oh, J&R, I can't believe you closed. And he goes, that was one of the best gigs I ever had. And I enjoyed myself so much just playing for you guys and your audience. Oh wow, that that must have felt uh, incredible to hear that that mm-hmm. he, the fact that he b- was able to remember that <laughs> based on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I I saw an inter- I saw an interview with Joe Walsh once, uh, like a late night show, and uh, he he talked about he was living in L.A. and he there there had been an earthquake. 
And the host had asked, like, hey, you know, did you feel that earthquake the other day? And Joe just said something like, oh, well, when you drink as much as I do, it feels like an earthquake every morning. So. (laughs) (laughs) funny. Uh, Probably our biggest concert that we ever did at J&R was Green Day. Um, We got a call from Warner Brothers one day and said we would like to have Green Day uh, perform in the park. We used to do these concerts in the park across the street. Mm -hmm. By the way, all of this is free to the customer. We never charged. Oh, wow. And I said, Green Day, you know, and they sent me a copy of American Idiot. So this is before American Idiot came out. And I said, oh, my God, the park isn't going to be able to hold American Idiot. They said, well, could you do something in two weeks? So I said, let me see what I could do. I called uh, the mayor's office. They closed down the street for us. We put up the stage and they played American Idiot for the first time at J&R. Wow. Oh, wow. And then that that went on to uh, that one. That was like a monster album that year. Yep. 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 They seem like um, they seem like fun guys. Like they always, yes. uh, they they always, even when they were taking themselves seriously, it wasn't that seriously. I, I always thought, right, right, right. And it was really a classic, beautiful album. So, and our customers, of course, loved it. And then they always come after the concerts in the street. They come to J&R and meet the artist and get um, whatever they want autographed. So that's why we have so many autographed things that we're putting (laughs) out on this auction. Yeah, I I can't handle it anymore. (laughs) Taking up too much room. And I want to share it with other people that love music as much as I do. Yes. Well, um, here, let me give out the uh, the auction, um, the auction from New York City's legendary JNR Music World. Uh, it's the items are available uh, if you visit bidcx.com. So bidcx.com. And they're available now uh, through December 5th. And um I have a list of some of the things that that you're that you're auctioning off, but the the one that Max and I were looking at the list uh, off air, and the one that jumped out mm-hmm. is um, an autographed Roland piano from Lady Gaga. Yes, <laughs> yes, it's a beautiful uh, white baby grand that Roland gave us. Oh, that's a ama- oh! I thought may I thought maybe she had uh, she had like come to perform there or something. No, she didn't perform at J&R. She was supposed to come, and something happened. And uh, so, I mean, I had met her out, you know, outside of J&R, but she wasn't able to come to J&R. Um, still, that's uh, an autograph rolling piano. Is that that's amazing? Yeah, and some of the yeah. other items. Yeah. I mean, the Green Day American Idiot autograph CD mm-hmm. booklet, the Brian Wilson. Mm-hmm. I mean. Both Ken and I are huge Brian Wilson fans. The autograph foam board, it's it's incredible. The Robbie Robertson autograph foam board. There's so many cool mm-hmm. items on here. Yeah, true. And a lot of the legendary, you know, legacy type artists from Motown. Uh, we we just had about just about everybody here, from uh, Beyonce to Justin Bieber to One Direction to Tony Bennett and Gladys Knight and Chubby Checker. <laughs> you know, oh, we wow. everybody here. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine you, because you guys were, I, I mean, 1971 to 2014, that, that spans a few generations of music. So you... Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. You, you, saw it, you saw it all. Uh, you right. Know. And like I said, you know, our customers were very loyal to us. So for example, um, you know, we had 5,000 copies of John Lennon Double Fantasy um, when he passed away. And so there was a shortage of it. And all the other record stores were charging. The list price at the time was five ninety nine, And our prices were two ninety nine, And everybody else started charging nine ninety nine 
because you just couldn't get it. We continued to charge two ninety nine, and that's a lot of money that we could have made, you know, yeah, times five thousand albums if we raised our price. But we didn't. We didn't think that was right to our customer, and our customers remembered things like that. Yeah. So, um, you know, we had this deep loyal following. In fact, you know, we had to close down for a couple of weeks during, um, you know, after the World Trade Center uh, mm-hmm. tragedy. And we were closed for about six weeks. And we were getting emails from customers and from artists that I won't shop for any music until you guys reopen. So there was really a, a lot of loyalty to us and, and we to them. Yeah, because you, you guys were located just like a block or two from the World Trade Center, right? Correct, yes. Wow. Yes, we were affected, you know, as was everybody else. But as a business, we were affected uh, very negatively. I I love that. But, um, yeah. I love that story uh, about the double fantasy record so much because it is it really is the exact opposite of of what typically goes on, you know, especially now when when people aren't buying physical copies of albums very much. And you're just sitting there on your couch and clicking a button to get the album every time mm-hmm. you see um you know, when Prince died or David Bowie died or Tom Petty, you'd go on to Apple's iTunes and it would be on the front, you know, that that artist would be on the front page within an hour of, of uh, the death announcement. And the prices right. <laughs> and the prices, you know, were way jacked up, you know, yep. they, Apple would. And, and it's because they don't have to face customers. They don't they don't have to see the same people day in, day out. So they, well, you they know, don't care. Joe had this motto that he always wanted to be treated. I'm sorry, he would treat customers the way he always wanted to be treated. So, for example, we had a large mail order business before, you know, there was the web or anything like that. And he used to stand there listening in on the phone calls to make sure the customer service was really A1. He said customer service is what's going to keep this business growing and staying alive. And he was right. Yeah, that's that's um, that's great. I, I I love hearing stories like that. Um, were there any items that uh, you decided not to auction off? Anything too sentimental for you? Um. Well, you know, I have so much, so I'm doing it in stages, mm-hmm. and. Um, I'm not, I'm not selling off any of these signed guitars right now. Um, anything with Michael Jackson. We had a special relationship with Michael Jackson. He used to come into the store all the time, and, and he called us his favorite toy store in the whole wide world. <laughs> and uh, he used to come to my office, and we used to talk business. And then his voice changed completely. <laughs> he had a different voice when he spoke business. Uh-huh. And he wanted to open up a whole bunch of J&R franchises around the country, but it's not something that we really wanted to do. We felt we would lose control, and that specialty of Joe and Rochelle um, caring what our customers want. I mean, that's really why we never opened up a chain store. We figured, how are we going to replicate what we have on Park Row? Um, we just can't. So that's why we decided on Park Row and the way we expanded at the time was opening up more stores for different categories and opening up our mail order. Wow. And how did how did that relationship with Michael Jackson start? Did he just stop into the store one day? Was it something that was set up ahead of time? Um, he used to just come in and shop, and they used to call us from, uh, you know, uh, Sony Music and say, can we close, you know, uh, can he come after the store is closed? So we said, sure, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, and, of course. Uh, but, then after, but then after a while, he just came in when the store was open. Customers were used to seeing him there, sitting on the floor with with records, all with CDs at the time, CDs all over the place, or video. Uh, he came in for video discs as well for his kids, saying, this isn't appropriate, this isn't appropriate, uh, <laughs> too much shooting, too much blood, you know. <laughs> he was... Uh, and we were friendly with him. We were at his house in um, 
California. So we, we had a very nice relationship. That's great. I, I love that uh, he was able to come in eventually during business hours. I feel like um, outside of New York City, there's probably not too many other uh, there's probably not too many other places he could have done that. Right. That's true. That's true. Beyonce used to come as well <laughs> during the day and shop. So, um, yeah, I think our customers were impressed but they gave them the space because they really they really loved the artist and they respected the artist and they figured you know they're entitled to their space that's it's so it's uh it's so incredible to me that that you you started this just sort of as um you just know. electronics <laughs> and it blossomed into this like incredible thing that had such an impact on music throughout music history. Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, we love the music. We love the customers. And, and we had a very unique concept. We had a separate store for classical music. We had a separate store for jazz music. Uh, pop music was all on one floor, but it was a lot, it was 10,000 square feet. And we put disco, at the time disco was very big, in a separate room with a separate sound system with separate salespeople. So this way people heard the music that they wanted to hear, talked to the salespeople that really knew about the product, and it made it very, very unique and uh, our customers appreciated it. And then when we, you know, we sold a lot of hardware, we had a separate computer store with, with people that just knew computers. Um, we had an app. We were the first people to have an Apple store within our computer store at oh, the time wow. before iPod, before iPhone. You know, they were a computer company that wasn't that successful. But we had we saw our customers loved Apple and we had a separate environment, a separate store. Separate salesmen that just spoke Appleese. They didn't speak Intel um, <laughs> language. And customers loved that. So we had a separate camera store, separate consumer electronics store. So, uh, you know, that's how we grew. And we really were different than everybody else. And and people used to tell us because of the inventory. I mean, we were Amazon before Amazon. <laughs> yes. We were like the retail Amazon. <laughs> Because it started just one location, just one storefront, yes. and then it, it expanded to a full block, right? Yes, we ended up with 300,000 square feet. It started wow. with 500 square feet and ended with three. We had every store on the block except for one little hardware store in the middle. Yeah, and, and when I say a full block, I don't mean, you know, a full block. I mean a full city like a, block. A New York like City to, block, to yeah. Give yeah, to like yes. give people, let them know, like a city block is huge. That's incredible. Yes, <laughs> that's when. Yes, I, but each one was a different store. You wow. know, a different environment, different store. What was like your wildest expectations when when you started? Was it just like, hey, you know, this will this will help pay a few extra bills till I get through college? I, I mean, did you ever exactly? <laughs> <laughs> No, I planned on going to medical school. <laughs> I planned on being a doctor. And like I said, my husband was an electrical engineer. And it was really just to get some extra money and, and doing something that my husband was very passionate about. And because he just wanted something that he could do on his own and, and play with all the electronics. And, and one day he says, Rochelle, we're going to sell computers. I go, what do you mean we're selling computers? They're $10,000 each. I go, who in the world is going to buy a computer? He said, if I could afford it, I would buy a computer for my house. And so he brought in about five different computers and then we ended up being the largest single, uh, uh, retail computer store in in New York. That's amazing. And we were, you know, competing with CompUSA with all the chains, and we had a gigantic. We were, you know, like I said, the first Apple store within a store. Uh, I met with Steve Jobs many times. Um, so it, it was, you know, it was music, yes, and music was really the cash cow at the beginning. Um, 
but it was music also that brought people in every single day to see what's new. It was music. They used to just come in the store and hang out and meet friends there. It was like a not a party scene, but it was such a friendly, like a little bit of a bar scene mm -hmm. that you meet your friends and you talk music. And so they loved it. Um, and that's really what made the business so strong. Um, I'm curious, what, what did, uh, what did your parents think when you started this? My father was so upset. <laughs> <laughs> he said, what are you dealing with, with pennies and dimes when you could be a doctor? <laughs> and I had my professor from Polytech, like I said, the Polytech is just, it's in Brooklyn, but it's a, a train stop away from uh, J&R. And one day he came in and he saw me behind the cash register. And he said, oh, my God, is this what's become of you? You're a cashier. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's always a sign of a successful business at the, when you're getting in at the beginning and your parents are like, oh, what are you doing? What, what is this? This was not planned for you. I feel like that there's so many like success stories that started with that, like genuine concern. Right, right, right. Did and, of course, my husband's parents, oh, my God, here, you know, he was the first college graduate in his family, and he was an electrical <laughs> engineer. They were so proud of his diploma, and now they said, what did you become, you know, <laughs> just a, a merchant? <laughs> <laughs> did, did, you ever, did you ever get that moment, uh, either you or your husband, uh, where, where, your, where your parents admitted maybe they were wrong? Yes, yes, yes. And they were very proud of their success. Very proud. When my father got to meet Barbara Streisand backstage, he said to me, you did good. You did good. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is, that's amazing. Um, and uh, remember, you can go to uh, bidcx.com if, if you want to take a look at some of the items. Um, I would have told your husband when he, when, when, uh, or I, I would have said to you when you were asking who would buy computers, uh, if I was your husband, I would have, I would have said Michael Jackson, that's who. <laughs> Joe Walsh will buy computer. We can sell Joe Walsh a computer yeah. every week. He won't even remember that he came in for one. Right. <laughs> but don't forget computers then with $10,000. Right. You know, uh, uh, calculators were eight hundred dollars. Jeez, <laughs> everything is different. Yeah, yeah. Now everything is just all on w one thing that fits in your pocket. Exactly. Exactly. Now, now, did you ever? Because I'm I'm 34, so I grew. I was born in '88. So when I was growing up, mm -hmm. I just remember CDs. Um, the J and R logo, I knew. Now, did you know? Like that one day, all these things were going to like, did anyone fathom that like these technological advances would one day, you know, just be in one place? Well, I, I don't think so. I mean, we were always ahead of the curve because we were in so many different businesses and we were so into tech and, and both my husband and I were scientists. So we thought differently than regular business people. Um, so we sold, you know, um, DVDs. Uh, we outsold, you know, we sold a lot more DVDs than VHS a lot earlier than our counterparts. We sold uh, CDs, you know, um, outsold cassettes a lot sooner than other stores. Um, so we realized, you know, I used to go to Comdex, you know, twice a year, and I used to go to CES twice a year and see what's happening in the next five years. Uh, very, very friendly with the CEO of Intel, so knew what's coming up. But did I ever imagine that the business would change so dramatically? No. I mean, we had... We sold calculators, we sold GPSs, we sold uh, turntables or stereo systems, which you wouldn't need anymore once the iPhone came right. out. Yeah. You know, all of these different products, you don't need a separate GPS anymore. So, you know, that was one of the reasons um, the J&R closed 
things changed so dramatically, you know, along with the whole Amazon effect mm-hmm. and along with um, a lot of our vendors became our competitors, for example, Apple. So, um, you know, those were a lot of the reasons, you know, the JNR did close when it did. Yeah. And, and I feel like within the last, I mean, you guys closed in 2014. I do feel like in the last, you know, eight years, there has been a bit of a resurgence in things like vinyl. And I think a lot of that is having a physical connection with the music, kind of like what Ken was saying. And like you were saying, you know, going and trying to find like they have record store day every year where, Mm -hmm. I've done it before. I've waited in line for an album and I've had to go to different stores to see if I could get it. And it is kind of like an adventure. And when you do get that physical uh, copy, it's like a feeling of success and it's exciting to actually have it and to put it on the, uh, on the record player and put the needle on the groove. I I feel like that's something that people now kind of crave, even if they didn't, grow up with that it's coming around to having that physical copy copy kind of gives you that a connection that you don't have by pulling up spotify and being able to skip around to song with the click of a button uh, I totally agree, but it's not enough of a research yeah, yeah no, no. <laughs> yeah, to, for sure. Know. But but talking about Record Store Day, I can tell you a few interesting facts. First of all, I used to be the chairman of NARM. It's now called Music Business, but that's the Music Industry um, Association, and I was the chairman. So we were very instrumental in getting Record Store Day started, and Record Store uh, Day started because independent um, retailers like us and, and a lot of the small uh, record stores throughout the country couldn't compete with a lot of the big box stores. And after a while, big box stores were getting exclusives to certain songs or certain albums. So um, NARM and all of the independent stores uh, went to the different record labels and asked for exclusives that the big box stores would not get. And that's how Record Store Day started. Wow, that's so cool. That's so cool that you started that it that you you started this uh journey. And um were were you were you a big I, I mean it sounds like you weren't because you would go through the 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 guide to see what was available, but it, it sounds like maybe you weren't even a huge music fan when when you started. Uh, I was, but it wasn't really pop music. It was more um, international music and uh, Boy Orbison and Connie Francis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I really didn't know, you know, I wasn't into pop music at the time. I mean, then, of course, you know, I mean, now I'm a big Bruce Springsteen fan, you know. So, um, but but it changed. But like I said, Record Store Day was really to take care of the independent record stores that were hurting at the time because of all of the big box using it as a loss leader to bring people in for other reasons. They weren't really truly record stores anymore. So this was to protect the real record store. Yeah, well, it, it sounds like throughout your career, uh, you you really um, you cared about the customer. You cared about the artist. You, you cared about the integrity, and um, that's uh, that's that's very cool. That's that's uh, I'm I'm I I hope you I hope you look back with with a lot of pride on on what you were able to accomplish. Well, thank you. You know, in fact, I'm writing a book. Yeah. So. I- um, <laughs> So it'll come out probably next year or so. And, you know, a lot of the stories and a lot of behind the scenes stories and some wonderful, some not so wonderful um, will be in the book. Yeah, a lot of pictures. I'm glad you said that because I I was going to tell you, you know, uh, like this sounds like a documentary to me, you know, like (laughs) where's the Netflix talk on this? So I'm I'm excited about it. It's uh, it's something I've always been putting off, and uh, 
you know, it's something I'm working on right now. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Rochelle, I have a quick question for you. It, sure. It'll probably be hard to pin it down, but do you have an all-time favorite album? Oh, boy. <laughs> no, it's kind of hard really to put hard you on the spot a, with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I love so many different um, artists and different genres. Um, it's hard to say. It's really... Hard to say. <laughs> That's fair. Well, let me ask you this. Do you have an all-time mm -hmm. favorite Bruce album since we just mentioned him? Uh, Born to Run. Um, I guess all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Very diplomatic answer. <laughs> like yeah. I, I don't know if you heard. They they just... Uh, I, I had Max listening to it today. How, Howard Stern just interviewed him. Uh, on Monday, oh, wow. he interviewed Bruce for about wow. two and a half hours, and he, oh, wow. he said something which was uh, very cool. He said uh, one night he's at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on stage, and he's playing guitar, and I, I forget exactly who the artists were, but he said, he said Mick Jagger to one side of him, and then yeah. some. Yeah, I forget like who like Bono, who had some some enormous rock star. And he was in the middle playing guitar for them. And he and I was in the audience. Oh, oh, wow. oh good. Then maybe you can, <laughs> maybe you can tell us who the second guy was. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't remember because I've seen, he appeared so many times, you know, when it used to be in New York. I used mm -hmm. to go every year, you know, at the Waldorf. And it was just amazing. Those were the most amazing shows you ever saw because everybody just went up to the stage and jammed. But he um, he said something which which is sort of making me think of your story where he, he said that he, he started thinking it was about, George Harrison. That's it was it George Harrison. That, thank you. Yeah. It was Mick Jagger and George Harrison. Thank you. And mm -hmm. he said that he started thinking about all the kids that picked up a guitar after the, after British, the British invasion. invasion. Yeah. He said millions right. of kids picked up a guitar after the British invasion. And a few yeah. a few of those kids actually became decent. And then a few of those kids actually made it into a band. And a few of those kids were able to maybe record a single. And then just a few of those were able to put out an album. And a few of those had a career that lasted over four or five years. And then he, he said it basically boiled down to and out of all of those, I'm the one standing on stage with George Harrison and Mick Jagger right now. And mm -hmm. um, that sort of makes me think of what happened with you when you think of, of all the stores in the history of New York City that, that have opened up with with huge and, you know, with huge ambitions and dreams and so few actually make it. Um but not only did did you make it, you like you became you became an institution for for decades. Well, thank you. But like I said, it it was really an act of love. Working with my husband was fantastic. It was the greatest partnership. Um, so that was really nice. And and just meeting all these artists. And learning about all the new technology. I mean, they were both fun. People always talk about my music. And I go, yeah, that was fun, but it was great, you know, seeing the first iPod, seeing uh, and learning about it before it comes out. I go, really? You know, you could walk around with that or, or going with Sony to Japan and they gave us the first CD player. And people just couldn't fathom, you know, oh, my God, a CD player, you know, it's such a small uh, physical thing as opposed to an LP or or the cassette. It really replaced the cassette. And just seeing all that and being at the forefront or being a beta tester for a lot of this stuff, it was just uh, it was just a lot of fun. Yeah, that I remember when CDs here. I see. I would not have been uh, one of those stores that made it. Uh, I <laughs> I remember when CDs came out. I remember thinking, well, this is as good as it's ever going to get. Like I, I couldn't even uh, fathom 
what could come around better than a CD. Mm-hmm. And um, and the CD quality wasn't as good as some of the you know some of the vinyl quality, but um, no, you know there were, were a lot of naysayers when the CD came out. Yes, but it was just a, such a convenient way of listening to music. Yes, yeah, it was. It was very convenient. Um, the the mm-hmm. thing that I can't understand right now is how cassettes are starting to make a comeback. Uh, I think that's just a part of the nostalgia and thinking, well, you know, vinyl made a comeback. And uh, I think it's nostalgia. Yeah, I, it must be because that was... Um, I think I I was born I was born in the 70s so I I remember like my memory goes back as far as uh like my dad had an 8 track player and an 8 track uh, Yeah <laughs> so like with the exception of 8 track like cassettes were you know they they were they were terrible having to fa- if you didn't if you only liked a couple songs having to fast forward and then praying that your car mm-hmm. or your tape mm-hmm. player wasn't going to eat it and <laughs> I, yep. I, I, you, I can understand why vinyl's making the comeback, but not uh, yes, not yes. cassettes. Um, did did you ever have um, can can you think of uh, of an artist that that you met, a musician that you were um, like most pleasantly surprised by? Like maybe maybe you thought, oh, I'm not, I'm not so sure about this guy or uh, Leonard Cohen loved Leonard Cohen and I was so scared to meet him and when he had his comeback uh, concert at the Beacon Theater the record label asked me why do I want tickets <laughs> <laughs> and not knowing that he would come back so strong I said I don't know I just love Leonard Cohen and he was just a delight to meet um, very, very intelligent. His songs are brilliant, and I uh, just love Leonard Cohen. So he was a surprise. Oh, that's great. That's very cool. Um, once again, go to bidcx.com, and um, you can own a piece of of musical history. Um, Max, I know, I know you'd want the, uh, I I know anything with Brian Wilson, Max would want. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Brian Wilson was very, uh, it was unbelievable. We've had a lot of huge in stores. Um, probably the largest was, um, Justin Bieber where we had 15,000 kids around the block. Oh, wow. Screaming and, yeah, so Justin Bieber. But I'd say, well, our second largest was uh, One Direction, you know, with Harry Styles and Mm -hmm. all that. So that was our second. Our third largest was Brian Wilson. Wow. And and what era Brian Wilson are we talking about? He was here... uh, before we closed, a couple of years before we closed. Oh, so, so the same era as 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 Justin Bieber in One Direction. Oh wow! Yeah, and uh, that's what was so surprising. I loved Brian Wilson. I didn't realize that there were so many Brian Wilson fans, and it was the most unbelievable instrument. And especially, um, he wasn't in the best of health so he signed autographs pretty slowly and um but he was just amazing just amazing people just loved him and stood in line patiently was of course a little bit older crowd than the justin bieber crowd (laughs) but it was (laughs) it was an amazing in story he signed a guitar for me which that one i'm keeping because i love brian wilson (laughs) <laughs> and I had uh, a year or two earlier, I had given him an award at NARM. I told you I was chairman of uh, the board at NARM. So I had given him an award 
And uh, we just developed a nice relationship. And he said when he comes to New York, his, you know, he would come and do an in-store. So that's how it came about. And he's just wonderful. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, listen, Rochelle, thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on today. Um, My pleasure. Yeah, we, we wish you luck with the auction. Uh, BidCX.com. Uh, to, it's it's live now. It's through December fifth. Um, I'm gonna go on there. I, I want to see because we got just a little bit of the list. I, I want to see the uh, I want to see the full list. I'm excited to go look at that. There is there is a Brian Wilson foam board, autographed foam board. So you know these foam boards came about because whenever an artist used to come to J&R, the record label used to do this big foam board of them, and then when they left, they signed it. So that's how we have so many foam boards. Oh, wow. Yeah, that that's cool. When I when I worked at a record store, they they would give them they they would let you have them, but the, the artists never came, so they weren't autographed. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun. The only problem with working at the record store was um, half my paycheck. Like when they just went right back to them, even even with the employee discount. But wait a minute, didn't they give you like promos and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. Every like once every few months they would set they would put out a giant box of promos and, and let you take what you wanted. But I, I uh, we used to we used to give our employees promos and and we charged them absolute cost. We didn't make any money on our employees. Yeah. I'm I'm In not fact, Amazon, you know, we we were, you know, one of the first uh retailers on Amazon and the Amazon people used to come to us to buy their product as opposed to going to Amazon because they said they got it cheaper from us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's so nice that you did that. I don't know that um I don't know that C D World in Springfield, New Jersey cared about their employees. <laughs> Oh, I knew you, boss. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they cared. I'm not saying they didn't care, but I don't think they cared as much as as it sounds yeah. like as it sounds like you did. Um, <laughs> so um, that is that is it. Thank you, thank you so much. And yeah, and I can't wait pleasure. to read the book. Yes. I can't wait to read oh. the book. Yeah, the book will have a lot of goodies in it. A lot of goodies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love I love those behind the scenes stories. I I I, I yeah. can I can I burn through all those kinds of books. So uh, definitely excited about that. Um, thank you. Thank you so much, Max. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Do you have you have anything coming up you need to promote? Uh, you can just follow me on Instagram at Max Antonucci. Uh, all all info is on there. Okay. Um, yeah, follow Max. He's hilarious. Go see him live. Uh, you can see me. I'll be at City Steams in Hartford, Connecticut, November 18th and 19th. And uh, Laugh It Up, Poughkeepsie. I, I should probably have known the date before I announced it. Oh, uh, December 24th, night before Christmas Eve. Um, you can see me headlining at Laugh It Up, Poughkeepsie. Um, Rochelle, thank you so much. Good luck My with pleasure. good luck with thank the auction, you. and uh, maybe maybe when um, maybe when you're ready to promote the book, we'd love to have you back on. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Very nice. Thank you. Okay. Bye, everybody. We'll see you next week.